This recording is brought to you by Ancient History Encyclopedia. Roman Architecture, written by Mark Cartwright and narrated by Nithin Sill, the producer of the Flashpoint History Podcast. Roman architecture continued the legacy left by the earlier architects of the Greek world, and the Roman respect for this tradition and their particular reverence for the established architectural orders, especially the Corinthian, is evident in many of their large public buildings. However, the Romans were also great innovators, and they quickly adapted new construction techniques, used new materials, and uniquely combined existing techniques with creative design to produce a whole range of new architectural structures. These included the Basilica, the Triumphal Arch, the Monumental Aqueduct, the Amphitheater, the Granary Building, and the Residential Housing Block. Many of these innovations were a response to the changing practical needs of Roman society, and these projects were all backed by a state apparatus which funded, organized, and spread them around the Roman world, guaranteeing their permanence so that many of these great edifices have survived to the present day. Origins and Evolution Roman architects continued to follow the guidelines established by the classical orders the Greeks had first shaped, Doric, Ionic, and Corinthian. The Corinthian was particularly favored, and many Roman buildings, even into late antiquity, would have a particular Greek look to them. The Romans did, however, add their own ideas, and their version of the Corinthian capital became much more decorative, as did the cornice. See, for example, the Arch of Septimius Severus in Rome, 203 of the Common Era. The Romans also created the composite capital, which mixed the volute of the Ionic order with the acanthus leaves of the Corinthian. The Tuscan column was another adaptation of a traditional idea, which was a form of Doric column but with a smaller capital, more slender shaft without flutes, and a molded base. The Tuscan column, as it came to be known in the Renaissance period, was especially used in domestic architecture such as peristyles and verandas. The Romans also favored a monolithic column rather than the Greek approach by using several drums stacked on top of each other. In addition, Columns continued to be used even when they were no longer structurally necessary. This was to give buildings a traditional and familiar look. For example, the front of the Pantheon circa 125 CE in Rome. Columns could be detached from the building yet remain attached to the facade at the base and entablature, also known as freestanding columns. See, for example, Hadrian's Library in Athens, 132 CE. Finally, columns could become a part of the wall itself, also known as engaged columns, and function as pure decoration. For example, the upper floors of the Colosseum exterior, which are dated to the last quarter of the first century of the Common Era. Greek influence is also evidenced in the fact that late Republican innovation, such as the Basilica and Bath buildings, usually occurred first in the south of Italy in Campania. See especially Pompeii. These areas, after all, were closer to the long-established Greek colonies of Magna Graecia, It was from here that we have the oldest surviving dome building, the Frigidarium, or cold room, of the Stabian Baths at Pompeii, which are dated back to the 2nd century before the Common Era. As with many other areas, the Romans took an idea and pushed it to its maximum possibility, and the huge imperial bath complexes incorporated soaring arches, arches springing directly from column capitals, and domes which spanned seemingly impossible distances. 
Another interesting period was the Augustan, which saw a surge in building activity, innovation in design, and extravagant use of marble. Symptoms of a Rome that was beginning to flex its muscles and with an increased confidence break away from the rigid tradition of earlier civilizations. This was also the time when increased imperial patronage allowed for even bigger and more impressive building projects to be undertaken, not only in Rome, but also across the empire, where buildings became propaganda for the might and perceived cultural superiority of the Roman world. As the empire expanded, ideas and even craftsmen became integrated into the Roman architectural industry, often following their familiar materials like marble to the sites of construction. The evidence of Eastern influence can be seen in such features as papyrus leaves and capitals, sculpted pedestals, street colonnades, and the nymphium, also known as the ornamental fountain. Materials and Techniques the first all-marble building was the Temple of Jupiter Stator in Rome, 146 BCE. But it was not until the Empire that the use of marble became more widespread and the stone of choice for the most impressive state-funded building projects. The most commonly used from Italy was Carrera or Luna marble from Tuscany. See, for example, the 30 BCE Temple of Apollo on the Palatine. Marble was also readily available from all across the empire. Especially esteemed were the Parian marble of Paros in the Cyclades and the Pentelic from Athens. Colored varieties were also much favored by Roman architects. For example, yellow Numidian marble from North Africa, purple Phrygian from central Turkey, red Porphyria from Egypt, and green vein Caristian marble from Euboea. Foreign marble was, though, mainly reserved for use in columns and due to the cost of transportation, mainly relegated for imperial projects. Now, besides marble, Tavertine white limestone was also made available from quarries near Tivoli. Its favorability towards precise carving and inherent load-bearing strength made it a favorite substitute for marble amongst Roman architects from the 1st century BCE. It was especially used for paving, door and window frames, and steps. The Romans did not invent lime mortar, but they were the first to see the full possibilities of using it to produce concrete. Concrete rubble had been usually reserved for use as a filler material, but Roman architects realized that the material could support great weight and could therefore, with a little imagination, be used to help span space and create a whole new set of building opportunities. They called this material Opus Caementaceum from the stone aggregate Caementa, which was mixed with the lime mortar. The material had a thick consistency when prepared and so was laid, not poured like modern concrete. The first documented evidence of its use is from 3rd century BCE Cosa, and its first use in Rome seems to have been from a 2nd century BCE warehouse. Also, in the 2nd century BCE, it was discovered that by using pozzolana, a concrete made using volcanic sand, also known as pulvis puteolanus, which had a high silica content, the concrete could set underwater and was even stronger than normal concrete. By the 1st century BCE, its use seems widespread in foundations, walls, and vaults. Perhaps the best example of its possibilities in construction is the Sanctuary of Fortuna Primaginia at Palestrinia. 
In addition to the structural possibilities offered by concrete, the material was also a lot cheaper than solid stone and could be given a more presentable facade using stucco, marble veneer, or another relatively cheap material like fired brick or terracotta. Sun-dried mud bricks had been used for centuries and continued to be used for more modest projects up to the first century of the Common Era. But fired bricks had the advantage of durability and could be carved just like stone to resemble such standard architectural features as capitals and dentils. Bricks were typically 59 centimeters square and 2.5 to 5 centimeters thick. Uncut, they were used in roofing and drains, but for other uses they were usually cut into 18 triangles. There were also circular bricks, typically cut into quarters, which were used for columns. Bricks could also be used in domes, such as the Temple of Escalipo Soter in Pergamon, and even became a decorative feature themselves by using different color bricks, usually yellow and orange, and laid to create a pattern. Stucco was also used to face brick walls and could be carved like bricks could be to reproduce the architectural decorations previously rendered only in stone. The stucco was made from a mix of sand, gypsum, and even marble dust in the best quality material. Volcanic tufa and pumice were used in domes because of their light weight, as in, for example, the Pantheon. Basalt was often used for paving and roads laid out as polygonal blocks, and Egyptian gray and pink granite was popular for obelisks and columns. Finally, terracotta was also used for molded ornamentation on buildings and became a common embellishment of private homes and tombs. Architects in the Roman world, the credit for buildings was largely placed at the feet of he who conceived and paid for the project rather than the architect who oversaw the realization of it. Therefore, the architect often remains anonymous. Those architects employed for specific projects by the emperor, however, are better known. We know of Trajan's favorite architect, Apollodorus of Damascus, famed for his skills in bridge building. It was he who was responsible for, amongst other projects, Trajan's Forum, and the Baths in Rome, 104 to 109 of the Common Era. Severus and Seller were the architects responsible for the fantastic-sounding revolving roof of Nero's Golden House. In general, architects supervised whilst it was the contractors or redemptores who actually carried out the project based on the architect's measured drawings. Certainly the most famous Roman architect is Vitruvius, principally because of his On Architecture, a ten-volume study of architecture which has survived intact. We do not actually know much about his own work, however, only a basilica he constructed in Fano, and that he did work for Julius Caesar and Augustus. On Architecture covers all facets of architecture, types of building, advice for would-be architects, and much more besides. One interesting point about the work is that it reveals that the ancient architect was expected to have many skills, which nowadays would be separated into different specializations. Vitruvius also encapsulated the essential ethos of Roman architecture. Quote, All buildings must be executed in such a way to take account of durability, utility, and beauty. End quote. Key Roman Buildings Aqueducts and Bridges these sometimes massive structures with single, double, or triple tiers of arches were designed to carry fresh water to urban centers from sources sometimes many kilometers away. 
The earliest in Rome was the Aqua Appia from 312 before the Common Era. But the most impressive example is undoubtedly the point to guard near Nîmes, which dates to 14 of the Common Era. Roman bridges could make similar use of the arch to span rivers and ravines. Constructed with a flat wooden superstructure over stone piers or arches, examples still survive today. One of the best preserved is the granite Tagus Bridge at Alcantara of 106 of the Common Era, which has arches spanning over 30 meters. Basilicas The basilica was adopted by the Christian church, but was conceived by the Romans as a place for any large gathering, with the most common use being for law courts. They were usually built along one side of the forum, the city's marketplace, which was enclosed on all sides by colonnades. The basilica's long hall and roof was supported by columns and piers on all sides. The columns created a central nave flanked on all sides by an aisle. A gallery ran around the first floor, and later there was an apse at one or both ends. A typical example is a Severan basilica at Lepsis Magna, which dates to 216 CE. Baths Roman baths displayed the typical Roman ability for creating breathtaking interior space using arches, domes, vaults, and buttresses. The largest of these often huge complexes were built symmetrically along a single axis and included pools, cold and hot rooms, fountains, libraries, underfloor heating, and even intra-wall heating through terracotta piping. While their exteriors were usually plain, Inside, they were often sumptuous with the lavish use of columns, marble, statues, and even mosaics. One of the finest and certainly best surviving examples is the Baths of Caracalla in Rome, which was completed around 216 of the Common Era. Private Homes Perhaps more famous for their richly decorated interior walls using fresco and stucco, Roman private residences could also enchant with atrium, peristyles, gardens, and fountains, all ordered in harmonious symmetry. For a typical example, see the House of Vetae at Pompeii, which dates to the first century before the Common Era. Even more innovative, though, were the large apartment blocks known as insula for the less well-off city dwellers. These were constructed in brick, concrete, and wood. Sometimes they had balconies and in certain cases on the ground floor there were even shops. Appearing as early as the 3rd century BCE, by the 1st century before the Common Era, examples could have 12 stories, but state-imposed height restrictions resulted in buildings having 4 to 5 stories on average. Some of the very few surviving examples may be still seen at Ostia. Temples the Roman temple was a combination of the Etruscan and Greek models with an inner cella at the rear of the building. This was surrounded by columns and placed on a raised platform, usually measuring approximately three and a half meters high. The entrance was usually stepped and contained a columned porch. This became the focal point of the building, which was in contrast to Greek temples where all four sides could be equally important in the urban landscape. Surviving practically complete, and a typical example is the Maison Curie at Nîmes, which is dated to 16 before the Common Era. Temples were usually rectangular, but could take other forms such as circular or polygonal. For example, the Temple of Venus at Baalbek, which scholars date to the 2nd and 3rd century of the Common Era. Theaters and Amphitheaters 
The Roman theater was of course inspired by the Greek version, but the orchestra was made semicircular and the whole construction was made using stone. The Romans also added a highly decorative stage building known as a Scania Franz, which incorporated different levels of columns, projections, pediments, and statues, such as found in the Theater of Orange, 27 BCE to 14 CE. A similar approach was taken with the facades of libraries. For example, the Celsus Library in Ephesus, dating to the 2nd century CE. Theaters also displayed the Roman passion for enclosing spaces, especially as they were often partially or completely roofed in wood or employed canvas awnings. The fully enclosed amphitheater was a particular favorite of the Romans. The Colosseum is the largest and most famous, and it is a typical example copied throughout the empire. A highly decorative exterior, seats over a network of barrel vaults, and a series of underground rooms below the arena floor to hide people, animals, and props until they were needed in the spectacles. Triumphal Arches The triumphal arch with a single, double, or triple entrance had no practical function other than to commemorate in sculpture and inscription significant events such as military victories. Early examples stood over thoroughfares, the earliest being the two arches set up by L. Stertinius in Rome, 196 BCE, but later examples were often protected by steps. These same arches, when topped by a bronze four-horse chariot, however, became imposing stone monuments to Roman vanity. The Arch of Constantine, circa 315 of the Common Era, in Rome, is the largest surviving example and is perhaps the last great monument of imperial Rome. Walls Aside from the famous military structures such as the Antonine and Hadrian's Wall, circa 142 CE and circa 122 CE respectively, even more modest Roman walls offer a surprising number of variations. The width of the Roman wall could vary tremendously from the thinnest at 18 centimeters to a massive 6 meter thick wall. Rarely were marble and fine stone blocks used as this was too expensive. Large square blocks were often used to create ashlar masonry walls, that is, close-fitting blocks without any use of mortar. Much more common, however, was the use of brick and small stones facing a concrete mixed core. The bricks and stones could be arranged in various ways. For example, opus insertum first appeared in the 3rd century BCE and used small irregular chunks of stone smoothed on one side. Opus reticulatum, from the 2nd century BCE, and used pyramid-shaped chunks with 6 to 12 centimeter square bases and heights of 8 to 14 centimeters. The stone was set with the base facing outwards and laid in a diagonal arrangement. Opus mixtum, common from the 1st century CE, this was a combination of opus reticulatum with a layer course of horizontal brick every fourth course and at the edges of the wall. Opus testaceum, common from the first century CE and used courses of brick only. And finally, opus vitatum, which used an alternative course of bricks with two courses of tufa blocks with a rectangular side facing outwards and diminishing in size towards the inner surface. It was especially popular from the 4th century CE across the empire. Despite the decorative effect of these various arrangements of stone and brick, 
Most walls were actually covered both inside and out with a white plaster stucco. This was done for the protection against heat and rain for the outside, and to provide a smooth surface for fine decorative wall paintings on the inside. Conclusion Roman architecture then has provided us with magnificent structures that have quite literally stood the test of time. By combining a wide range of materials with daring designs, the Romans were able to push the boundaries of physics and turn architecture into an art form. The result was that architecture became an imperial tool to demonstrate to the world that Rome was culturally superior. After all, it was only she that had the wealth, skills, and audacity to produce such edifices. Even more significantly, the Romans' use of concrete, brick, and arches twinned with building designs like the amphitheater and basilica would immeasurably influence all following Western architecture right up to the present day. This recording was brought to you by Ancient History Encyclopedia, a nonprofit organization. If you are interested in supporting our work, you can support us on Patreon by following the link below. To read more articles about ancient history, please visit www.ancient.eu. And if you are interested in historical podcasting, please visit Flashpoint History, now available on iTunes and Google Play.